All right. Well, good morning and welcome to Trace. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And before we do anything else, can we just give it up for the moms in the room really quick? Honor you in so many ways. I want to say welcome to all of you in this room. And I also want to say welcome to those online today. And my mom does watch every one of my sermons. So mom, I love you. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, so glad that you guys are here today and you're a part of this uh, gathering on a special day. But here's, here's what I want to do because um, I know that this day can be b both celebratory, and I also know that this day can also bring up some different emotions. I've been doing ministry long enough to know that um, there's going to be some different responses to Mother's Day, and here's what I mean by that. I know that for some of you in here, this is very celebratory, and I know for my wife, it's very celebratory, but I also know that there's probably some ladies in this room, and maybe you've lost your mom here recently, and so this day elicits some different emotions for you specifically, or maybe... You've been trying really hard to get pregnant because everything inside of you, you want to become a mother, but it's just not happened for you. And so this day elicits some different emotions for you. Or maybe, and this really goes for both men and women, maybe you didn't have the greatest of relationships with your mother growing up. And so this day elicits some different emotions for you. So here's what I'd like to do, because I do think that part of this day we definitely need to celebrate. That's a big part of this day. But I also think it's important that we identify and we empathize, especially because that's what we're talking about today, with those that maybe this day is a little bit tougher. So let me do that. Let me kind of say an encompassing prayer that includes all of those things. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, uh, we understand that today uh, is both a day to celebrate, but it's also a day that maybe draw some other emotions out of people in this room right now. We understand that uh, depending on people's circumstances and their experiences with moms or with trying to become a mom, uh, this day can look very different. And so, God, I just pray that you allow us to both celebrate but also be empathetic uh, with those that might be in here today and are experiencing something different than celebration. So uh, just pray that you're with us during this time this morning. And, uh, Lord, we love you so much. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we continue in our series, Power of E, and last week a good friend of mine came up, Paul Carpenter, to teach us on the subject of encouragement. Now, a quick side note, for those of you that don't know this, Paul Carpenter is actually on the management team that oversees Trace Church, and here's what I mean by that, and some of you, this is going to be important. And that's why I'm taking the time to explain it. You see, we're a part of what's called the Orchard Network, and they're a network that helps plant churches. And so we're only a little over a year and a half old, and so this network helped to plant our church. Now, in the process, before we kind of develop our own board, our own eldership, we'll call them overseers here, um, there's a management team that oversees all of the accountability for everything we do. Every dime that we spend as a church is accounted for, and Paul is on that team. And so I just wanted to let you know that for those of you that have been interested or maybe you've been pondering that and been asking that question to yourself. Just wanted to give you a heads up that there's incredible accountability for everything that we do here, including myself. I can't just do whatever I want. Uh, there's a team that oversees me and all the finances of this church. So just a quick side note. Well, Paul did teach us on encouragement last week, but today we're going to look at this word right here. We're going to look at the word empathy. Now, I want to just take a moment because I think you'll appreciate this and give you some backstory about why these two particular words are so important to me, because there is some backstory about why we decided to teach a series, specifically teaching on the subjects of both empathy and encouragement. And so let me give you the backstory. About four years ago, Emily and I stepped out in faith to plant a new church. And we partnered with this organization, the organization I just mentioned to you, called the Orchard Network. And during this process, we had to go through a three-day assessment. And this assessment is no 
joke. There is nothing fun about it, and they only accept about 20% of the church planners who go through this assessment. And really, they're, they're not trying to be mean, even though they came across that way several times, but they're just trying to make sure that you're ready to plan a church because people in my position, man, they burn out their families in the process of trying to do what we're doing here because it's really hard. It's probably one of the hardest things that you can do in ministry. And so they put you through this grilling three-day assessment, and I don't think my wife would mind that I shared this. She cried a few times through the process. One day we almost died. I made that last part up, just making sure you're paying attention. And so why do I tell you all of this? Well, at the end of this assessment, they give you some very candid feedback. And part of the feedback that they gave me kind of led to a blind spot in my life. And the feedback went something like this. Aaron, we think that you're going to make a great church planter, but we think that you're going to run over people in the process. In other words, Aaron, we think that in the process of doing ministry, you're actually going to overlook the people that you should be ministering to. That was hard. That was hard to hear. Because I didn't get into ministry for the sake of accomplishing tasks. I got into ministry because I loved people and I wanted to be available for people. And I wanted them to experience the same life transformation that I've experienced in my life. And so to hear that, it kind of sent me on this reflective journey of why I landed where I landed. And why that was the case. Because it was a blind spot, but I finally saw for the first time that that was true. And so without getting into a lot of psychobabble, I kind of went back into my life a little bit and... Remember that, you know, growing up, it was a little bit tough for us. And my mom was a single mom of three boys. And from a very young age, we're, like we're working and mowing yards to help her pay the bills. And kind of grew up with that mindset of, hey, do whatever it takes to get the job done. Stop making excuses. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just get it done. And in the process of kind of learning those kind of habits, also le learned this habit of overlooking people. And so through this reflective journey, I came to these two words right here. Aaron, in order for you to be the pastor that God has called you to be and this church needs you to be, you're going to have to grow in the subjects of encouragement and in empathy. And so from the onset of this church, these two words have been very important to me, so much so that we have almost, not almost, we really have kind of made them a, a filter, a litmus test of everything that we do here at Trace. And so what I mean by that is we want to get the job done. We want to work hard here, but never at the expense of overlooking people. And so this journey led me to a conversation on the front end of starting this church. I pulled our whole team in together, including their spouses. And I looked at them. I said, hey, if you want to help us to create a life-giving church that's going to represent the love of Jesus in the most tangible way that we know how, I need everyone in here to grow in the subjects of encouragement and empathy. And so for the last year and a half, we're just a little over a year and a half old as a church, we've been working really hard to make sure that this is the case. And so why do I tell you all of that? I need you to know that today is not just another sermon. Today is actually a journey that I've been on, a journey that we've been on as a church. And my hope is that you'll join us in this journey of becoming more empathetic people. I want to begin with this statement right here. If we don't allow empathy to take root in our lives, we will find it incredibly difficult to represent the love of God to people who need it the most. Let me say it one more time. If we don't allow empathy to take root in our lives, we will find it incredibly difficult to represent the love of God to people who need it the most. Now, to make sure that we're on the same page, let's define the word empathy together this morning. That way we're kind of starting from the same foundation 
And it goes like this. Empathy is the experience of understanding another person's thoughts, feelings, and condition from their point of view rather than your own point of view. Because that's often what we do, right? I mean, we look at somebody else's situation and we immediately begin to assess maybe why they got in that situation. And for the guys in the room, and I'm sure there's some gals too, it's like we immediately go into fix-it mode, which is like, well, this is all you need to do. That's not empathy. Here's a few more things that aren't empathy. I think this would be important for us as well. Empathy is not sympathy. Because sympathy sometimes comes across as pity, doesn't it? Where someone looks at you and maybe they say something like this, oh man, it sucks that you lost your job, but at least you can get another one. Empathy never has the word at least in it, right? I mean, empathy is, never sounds like this. We, don't use the, we should never use the word at least where, hey, I, I'm so sorry that you, you wrecked your car, but at least you didn't die, right? I mean, don't you want to hit those people sometimes? And in the name of Jesus, of course, we've got to keep it Christian. Guys, come on. Number two, empathy is not necessarily doing something to try and fix the problem. It, it might be if you're invited into that, but empathy most of the time is not trying to fix the problem. And number three, empathy is not always like getting emotional. Sometimes we think just because there's an emotional response that we feel like we're empathizing with others, but it could just be that you're a crier, right? Empathy is not just getting emotional. Now, I mean, to speak from both sides of my mouth, a lot of times if we are empathetic with others and we begin to, to attempt to feel what they're feeling, right? The cliche is kind of putting yourself in their shoes. We've heard this before. Oftentimes that does elicit emotions from us, but just being emotional doesn't mean you're being empathetic. Friends, I think this subject was not just incredibly important for my life and, and continues to be important for my life. I think it's incredibly important for your life. And I also think it's incredibly important for this church. And here's why it leads me to my one thing for today. Friends, I believe, I really do believe this, a life without empathy will lead us to a faith that is empty. From the years 1979 until 2009, the University of Michigan did this comprehensive study, and they used 14,000 students. And during this study, really what they were trying to figure out is how much compassion do our young people, people in college, how, how much compassion do they have? How much empathy do they have? And so they asked several questions, dozens of questions that were similar, similar to this. Like, if there was a person in need, how willing would you be to set aside what you have going on in your life and help them? And many other questions like that. And they were just trying to figure out how empathetic, how compassionate are the people in our culture today. And over the course of 30 years, in this 30-year study, they determined that we were on a drastic, and I mean drastic, decline in empathy. Ultimately, they came away with this conclusion right here based on the data. We care about other people 40% less than we did in the 1980s. Just let, it sit. Just let that sit inside of you for a second. We care about people 40% less than we did in the 1980s. And so i got to ask you a question. Does that concern you? Because if I just shared this information with you, and for whatever reason it didn't stir something up inside of you, if it's not making you question and ask things in your mind like, how did we get there? Like, what's happened over the last 30 years that have caused us to become so like little concerned with what's happening in other lives. Like, how did that happen? If, that's, if it's not stirring something inside of you, you might be part of the problem. But I'm not here to give you a guilt trip this morning. Because, honestly speaking, I think we're all a part of the problem. I really do. 
And it begs the question, like, how did we get here? Like, what happened? Because if we were to look at the information, we can come to a quick conclusion. We simply don't care as much as we once did about what's happening in the lives of others. We just simply don't care as much. Which means I think we could safely say we're in an, epi- we're in an epidemic of empathy, a lack of empathy. Here are a few things that sociologists are pointing to today. Number one, we are more concerned with ourselves. I could also interchange the word concerned with the word consumed. We're so consumed with ourselves these days that we're not taking the time to even think about or feel what's happening in others' lives, right? Whether it's like what's going on in your life or whether you're so consumed with your kids or with your own occupation or your self-image and how you're portraying yourself on social media or whatever that could look like. We're just so self-consumed these days. The second thing that they concluded was there's an overwhelming exposure to suffering which desensitizes us. We're going to look at this word desensitization here in just a few moments a little bit more thoroughly, but there's exposure everywhere we look. I mean, you get on the news, you listen to the radio, you pick up your phone and whatever media outlets you have, you're constantly exposed to the pain and suffering in this life, so much so that you begin to stop thinking about it as a problem. Third thing that they concluded was this. There's a lack of personal interaction that makes it easier for us not to care, right? We live in a digital age, and if you're keeping up with kind of the things that are happening, we can almost do anything that we need to do from one of these right here, or even by speaking it into this little gadget called Alexa, where we can say, hey, Alexa, would you order me some groceries, order some toothpaste, or whatever it is. We can order everything, almost anything that you need from Amazon or whatever other you know, shopping outlets that you go to digitally. And because of our digital connections, we're having a lack of relational interactions, which makes it easier just to not care. Because there's something that happens when you're face-to-face with someone, and you're actually in the midst of whatever it is their circumstances are, and you start to feel the pain a little bit, right? That's where empathy begins, but those interactions aren't happening as much as they used to. And then the fourth one is this. Our desire for entertainment has become an enemy of empathy. Now, before I say anything else, let me make this statement. I don't think the internet is evil. I don't think smartphones are evil. I use this little guy every single day to be productive and to do things that I think are beneficial. The internet or the smartphone would be considered amoral, right? I mean, you can use it for good, you can use it for bad. But I do think the internet, alongside of the smartphone, has begun to condition us for the constant need of entertainment the constant need for some kind of stimulus. In other words, we don't know how to live in a dull moment anymore, do we? We don't know how to live and allow blank space, empty space to just sit. We have to find some kind of stimulus that fills that blank space. And so whether you're sitting on the toilet or, yeah, I just went there in church. (laughs) Whether you're in a car with a bunch of other people and instead of engaging in conversation, you're tuned in here. Whether you're sitting around a board meeting table waiting for other colleagues to come, and instead of engaging and kind of catching up and seeing what's happening in their life, you're tuned in here. You fill in the blank. Because what's happening in our lives is we don't know what to do with empty space, and so we just fill it with constant stimulus, with constant entertainment, something that will keep us intrigued. And Here's what I would beg you to think through today. I think we've overlooked the importance of empty space. 
I think we've overlooked how important it is for each of our lives to have some empty space in it. So, and I really do believe this because I believe empty space is where empathy often begins. Those moments where you really don't have anything else going on. And for that moment, without picking this phone up, maybe it allows your mind to wonder and to ponder. And it's like, you know what? I remember that conversation I was having with my neighbor, John, the other day. And his father had passed away and he was flying back to Michigan. And I think he's going to be home tomorrow. Maybe I should make him a pot pie. Or maybe that coworker who confessed to you that they've got a child that's messed up in some kind of addiction and so the next board meeting where you're sitting around a table, instead of pulling this thing out right here, you just take a moment and say, hey, how's, how's your son or daughter doing? I, I've actually had some addiction problems in my life. I, obviously just making some theoretical assumptions here. You see, I believe empty space is incredibly important when it comes to beginning the process of empathy. And, but we begin to lose sight of people because we're filling every single blank space like, let's make this personal. Maybe even with your own kids. Maybe if you sat this thing down long enough, you could be even empathetic with what's happening with your son or daughter who keeps coming home from school and they're not acting the same way that they used to act. But you haven't even taken the time to sit down and say, hey, how can mom or dad be available for you right now? Friends, if we don't allow some blank space in our life, we are actually conditioning ourselves to care less. It's as simple as, it, as that. Psychologists are now studying how our brains are being flooded with so much information at once that our brains are actually struggling to distinguish between what is really important versus what is not. Social media is a great example of this. And again, I'm not here to paint social media out completely to be all bad, but it is a part of the problem. We have to call it for what it is. Here's what I mean by that. I mean, in our social media feed, in the same moment, I'm talking like a 20-second window. If I'm scrolling down through social media, I can see something about, like, the medicinal properties of marijuana, right? I mean, I don't know why I get all this stuff on my Facebook page, I guess because I live in Colorado. But it's like, you know, marijuana will keep you from ever dying. And then the next thing that I see is a friend who's exposing a struggling marriage. And then right after that, I see a friend who's having margaritas on the beach. And right after that, I see a massacre of some kind of terrorist network in the Middle East, something that's happened, hundreds of people are dead, all in the same moment. And our brains are starting to struggle. Psychologists are studying this right now. They're starting to struggle to compute what's really important versus what is not. Let me give you a real picture with this. Bring some pictures to kind of what I'm saying here. Maybe you get online and you see that just a couple streets over, maybe it's in your neighborhood or even just in the community of Colorado Springs, you, you notice that there's a house. You don't know the people, but there's a house that's burned and maybe two people died in the process. But you don't even take a moment to feel because right after that you see something like this. Oh, there's somebody's feet on the beach. Somebody, one of my friends, must be on an awesome vacation and they're taking a picture of their feet with an awesome ocean backdrop. Anybody else hate these pictures? Anybody? I take them too, so I'm not going to lie. You're going to have to hate me a little bit. I take them. And then we'll go right from that to this. In the same moment. And I don't know how long you sit there and allow yourself to empathize with what's happening in other regions of the world. But I think what's happening is most of us aren't sitting there very long. We're not allowing ourselves time to feel. It's easier just to be intrigued by something that makes us feel a little bit better like this right here. Now, this may make some of you feel better. I think kittens are a spawn of Satan. But I'm just kidding for you kitten lovers. You know, to go back to that 
picture of those kids that are obviously impoverished and starving. I'm going to be honest with you. Before there was the internet, I'm kind of aging myself here. Before there was the internet, I remember having cable television. Every now and then I would see one of these commercials. You've seen them. And on these commercials, you'd see some little kid with a fly on his face and see his ribs protruding his skin. And, uh, man, that used to wreck me. And I used to think, like, God, what, like, what's happening around the world? How can we do something? Like, what can I do? I don't, I don't know. But here's where I'll be honest with you. I've seen those things. I've seen those kind of pictures so many times now. They don't bother me as much as they once did. But that in and of itself bothers me. Sociologists call this desensitization. Here's the definition of it. Desensitization is the diminished emotional responsiveness to a negative, aversive, or positive stimulus after repeated exposure to it. You see, after we witness and we see these things on an ongoing basis and we're flooded with all of these negative images, we begin to not care as much. In other words, we're distracting ourselves. We're distracting ourselves from feeling deeply. We aren't allowing ourselves time to feel anymore. And when we don't allow ourselves time to feel, we begin to forget about people that are being impacted by pain. And then we wonder why we're feeling so empty. Which leads me back to my one thing. I believe it's because a life without empathy leads to a faith that is empty. And so if there's an action step, like if we can just sit, sit in this moment together for a second, there's an action step that I'd want all of us to leave with today. I don't know how, how often you need to set this thing aside, but here's what I do know. You need to allow yourself time to feel. If we're all going to grow in the area of empathy, we have to allow ourselves time to feel. About four, is it four years? Five years ago. About five years ago to the date, I got the hardest phone call that I've ever gotten in my tenure of ministry. And it was from a family from the church where I was a pastor, and I can't remember even who it was that called me, but they let me know about this tragedy that had taken place, and there was a, a little boy named Hayden. He was eight years old, and he was with his sisters, and they were jet skiing, and he was riding on the back of this jet ski with his 15-year-old sister, and he had another sister who was 12 years old that was on another jet ski, and they had one of those moments where they were getting close to each other, and they thought one was going to turn one direction, the other was going to turn the other direction, but they miscalculated, and this little 12-year-old girl hit her brother on the back of this other jet ski and killed him. I remember pulling up to the house and sitting in my car for a little while. You see, I've, as a pastor, I've been trained in moments like this and kind of know the right things to say. And I don't say that flippantly, like I don't mean the things that I say, but I, I know the right things to say where I sit down with families in the midst of tragedy. And How can we help you? How can we pray for you? How can we be available for you? How can we come alongside of you? And obviously helping them with funeral arrangements, hardest funeral I've ever done. But instead of being a pastor, I decided that moment, I just needed to be a person. And so I walked into that house, and I sat around the kitchen table, and I just cried with them. I 
Friends, if we lose sight of others and the pain that they're going through, I am certain that there is an outside, unbelieving world who's looking for a different way to live. Because what they're doing right now, they know it's not working for them. They know that there's more. But if they don't look inside the doors of the church, and if they don't see a people of empathy, people that are extending hope and life hurts, people that are stepping in the pain of others, people making themselves available and living an interruptible life, if they're not seeing that, I'm not sure how attractive this place becomes. That's why this subject is so important. As Christ followers, we should be some of the most available of people on this planet. Because true empathy, it should demand our attention and it should demand our availability. So can I ask you a rhetorical question this morning? How available are you these days? And not just available in a way like you're just going to sit down and maybe listen, but take the moment to feel deeply about what's happening in others' lives. I love how Paul highlights this when he writes to the church in Philippi in chapter 2. It says this, If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top, but put yourself aside. Oh, it's so important. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. I love this line. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. You see, not only is it hard for us to forget ourselves long enough to lend a helping hand, we're living in this culture where we're trying to constantly capture ourselves, right, and capture the moments that we're living in. We want people to see what we're doing on an ongoing basis, and we're not just in a self-centered society anymore. We're in a selfie-centered society, aren't we? Now, I'm not here to bash on everybody that takes selfies, because I take selfies, too, and just so that we make sure we're on the same playing field. Let me show you a handful of the ones that I've taken, right? Here's the driving selfie. you got to have one of these, okay? This is, like, part of the protocol. And then you got this one right here. This was during the renovation here at church, which is like, hey, I'm working hard selfie. I want people to know that I'm working hard. And then you've got this one right here where this is like uh, the superstar that I, find, I found, the Hollywood star. Well, in my mind, he is anyway. This is the, the head coach for the University of Kentucky Wildcats, right? I mean, that's important. Thank you. Get, get an amen. Next one, you've got this, right? This is the scary selfie where I'm hanging out with my daughter at night and doing some scary stuff. And then you got this one right here. This is the outdoor selfie. I need you to see that I'm like a part of the outdoors and I got this big bull elk behind me. And then you've got this one right here, which is this, I'm excited. I don't even know what I was excited. I'm excited about something selfie. And then there was, I'm not afraid to be silly selfie. And then you've got this, this I'm on an awesome vacation and you're not selfie. I told you I'd take these pictures, right? And then there's this one, which is... Uh, we hit the picture button at the wrong time selfie. We were a little bit off on this one. And then there's the embarrassing selfie, but instead of showing you an embarrassing picture of myself, I thought it would be great on Mother's Day to show you. Uh, <laughs> so wrong in so many ways. She gave me permission. She gave me permission before you start judging and condemning me to hell. So, yeah, the uh, dentist selfie that you don't ever want anyone else to see, but you show it in church. That's awesome. Right, but we're all doing this. We're all trying to capture our own moments. We all probably have, to some extent, we want people to know what's happening in our lives. And I'm not saying it's altogether bad, but are we doing so at the expense of 
feeling deeply for others, making ourselves available for others. Can I give you a challenge this week? What if, if you have social media accounts, and I think many of you do, maybe not all of you, but for those of you that do, what if just for a week, just one week, you don't say anything about yourself? You don't post any pictures of yourself. But maybe use your you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is for you. Use it as an opportunity to highlight somebody else. You can start with your mom. Maybe a friend. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to be empathetic with somebody who's going through a difficult time. And just one week. Just don't say anything about yourself. I want to read to you a couple passages. And I'm going to insinuate some stuff here, so I want to be clear about that on the front end, where I'm not sure this is exactly what's being said, but it's very interesting. We're going to read something from both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, and both of them kind of have a section where they encourage us, and they encourage us to be empathetic, and then right after that, there's kind of a different direction they take, almost as if it's a warning. So let me just read this to you, and we'll... I'll tell you where I'm going with it. First, we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3, and Peter says this. He goes, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. This is empathy. And then right after that, he goes into a completely different direction. He goes, do not repay evil with evil. It's almost like you can either do this or this is probably what's going to happen in your life. So finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, I want you to watch and hear the similar words of Paul when he's writing to the church in Rome in chapter 12. He starts like this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Humility. Empathy. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Empathy. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I love this, this line right here. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Just a quick side note. Empathy doesn't have to be pain and suffering. Empathy can also be excitement. What if you got a friend whose kid just won an award or was a part of the state championship team or what, whatever that looks like? And what if you actually took a moment to empathize with the joy that was filling their life in that moment and you extended that to them? It is so, so incredible that it happened for your kid or for you or whatever that looks like. You can also empathize in joy. Now, the reason we're talking about pain and suffering more today is because I think that's where the real problem lies. Then Paul says this, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, empathy. Do not be conceited. And then he says the same thing that Peter says. After this encouragement of being empathetic, he switches his tone. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here is where I'm going. Is it possible that on the other side of losing empathy in our lives, we begin to flirt with evil? Is it possible that when we stop feeling deeply for others, we become a little more desensitized to the pain and suffering that's happening around us, which, which makes us just a little bit more okay with evil? And I'm here to encourage us that if, if there's even an inkling 
of a possibility that a lack of empathy in our lives leads us closer to being okay with evil, we should all be running as fast as we can to becoming more empathetic people. Let me remind you of our one thing today. I do believe that a life without empathy leads to a faith that is empty. So let me talk to a couple people, groups of people in the room, and I'm closing. Some of you in here right now might have been, a, been in a season where you're experiencing your own fair share of pain and suffering, where you're kind of thinking to yourself, Aaron, how could I possibly, man, how could I possibly make myself available to anybody hurting right now based on what's going on in my own personal life? I really do believe this. I believe a part of allowing your life to be refilled, your spirit to be redeemed and reconnected, will be actually extending yourself to someone else. I really do believe this. Making yourself available for someone else oftentimes is the best source of healing in your own personal pain. I really do believe this. And I get some of us, another group of people in here, it's like, holy cow, how in the world could I add anything to my calendar right now, to my agenda? I'm a busy person. I get it, guys. I'm leading a church. I have an amazing wife who deserves the best of my attention and time. I have four incredible kids who need their dad to be available. I've got many of you who want to meet with me, and I want to make myself available for every single one of you, and that is not a flippant statement. I really do believe that. I really want to do that. But here's something that I want you to hear, and as I was thinking through this, I want to say it this way. There's no better way to instill the love of Jesus within your family than showing them how to empathetically love others. In other words, being empathetic with others is not at the expense of your family. It should be done alongside of your family. You should be doing this together, not just as an individual, but as a family. Come together and think about how can we set aside some time to be empathetic with others. Maybe start with your neighbors. Maybe. Maybe one of the biggest reasons you feel the way that you do right now is because along the way, you've lost sight of others. And you just started focusing too much on yourself. You don't even really know how it happened. I think it's happened to all of us to some extent. And guys, maybe the best way that we can learn to live in fullness once again is to lose sight of ourselves and grow in empathy by giving our time and attention away. Three action steps that I think all of us can grow in. Number one, live an interruptible life. It's not all about you. You know this. Make yourself available. How available are you these days? I think it begins that we have, we have to live an interruptible life. We've been saying this from the very beginning of this church. Number two, allow yourself some space. Set this thing down. I don't know what you have to do. It's up to you. You've got to be disciplined to do this. I get how addictive these little things are. Give yourself, allow yourself some space to feel for others again. Don't fill every moment of empty space with some kind of entertainment or stimulus. Because if you do, I promise you, you will condition yourself to feel less. Last one, just lose sight of yourself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you not looking out to your own interests, but looking to the interests of others. That is the path that I've been on for the last four years. I'm asking you to join me. Let's pray. Father, this is one of those areas that we could probably talk about every single Sunday. 
and we'd still need to hear it more. It's so easy to get caught up in our own lives. It's so easy to get distracted by our own personal needs and wants and desires. And so many of us arrive at different moments in our life where we, we just feel empty. We feel like something's missing. And God, I know you obviously know this at much greater, uh, to a much greater extent than I do, but I truly believe, Lord, that if we allow ourselves some space to feel for others again and make ourselves available, I think that's going to fill us. And not only will it fill us, but we'll begin to represent the heart of your son Jesus in probably the best way that we can. And so we got this little value, God. You know it's sitting out on the wall in our lobby that says we're going to extend hope and life hurts. And it's just a statement until we live it out. So God, would you show us as individuals, would you show us as families, and would you show us as a church how we can begin to feel deeply for others again? We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.